In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 8. Hosea continues to speak God's judgment against the people, and he's not mincing words. The situation is dire. In this section, Hosea poetically describes how foreign armies are going to invade the land and destroy the altars and idols of the people. It's a tough spot. Hosea is doing what he can do to help them see the error of their ways, hopefully before it's too late. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is sponsored in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, a recognized service organization in the LCMS. LHF assists congregations and missionaries with sharing the good news of Jesus through faithful Lutheran materials translated into foreign languages. Visit them to explore their range of offerings at lhfmissions.org. Well, without further ado, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show this morning one of our regular guests, the Reverend John Lakomsky. He's a pastor emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO on Saturdays at 9 a.m. Good morning, Pastor Lakomsky. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hi, Pastor Boo. How are you doing? And I know, I know because I've seen pictures, you still have snow on the ground up there, don't you? We still have tons of snow on the ground. We just got about six or seven more inches. And so what they do is when they when they pile it off the roads and the parkways and the parking lots, I should say, they just pile them in these giant hills. And so in my backyard, they've already took eight or nine dump truck loads of snow away and then it rebuilt. And so it's about 15 feet tall. And Minnesota's pretty flat. So all the kids in the neighborhood are coming to my backyard and sliding down <laughs> this giant hill. There is so much snow, they are they cannot dump truck it away fast enough. But you know what? It's Minnesota. We can't complain. It's kind of normal. Um, yeah, the reason I know that is precisely that I got a picture from my grandkids up there in Victoria, Minnesota, showing them playing in the snow. <laughs> and you know, and like you said, it, 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 it's like God says, oh, wait a second, you don't have enough snow. Let's have a little more. <laughs> oh, and I I was watching a, a YouTube video, and the gentleman in the YouTube video is from Nevada, Las Vegas, actually, and he's just walking around outside. It's all green. It's 75 <laughs> degrees. Uh, I turned it off in uh, righteous indignation. I am done with the snow, brother. Well, how, how are things going for you this Lenten tide? Uh, treating oh, you well? I, well, I tell you what, I, I've been extra busy. In fact, uh, the last couple of weeks, I almost felt like I wasn't retired because I've been part of a round robin uh, doing midweek Lenten services. And I preached uh, two Sundays in a row, uh, but I'm not preaching. Uh, oh, no, I am preaching this Sunday. <laughs> That's right. You're I forgot. <laughs> I'm doing, but, but see, then again, I reflect on that and thought, yeah, but but people like like Pastor Boo, you're going to just keep doing that and doing that and doing that. And here I'll be done in a couple of weeks and then I'll be back to just uh, worshiping, sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning. But it's kind of been fun to get back on the horse, as they said. So, Well, I don't think our retired guys spend too much time in the pews. You're so necessary and valuable to the church. I'm pretty sure they're keeping you busy. Well, thank you for that thought. And uh, and sometimes it is Pastor Boone, and then sometimes, you know, no, they're just uh, everybody's staying in their own pulpit and nobody's taking vacations <laughs> and don't need any extra help. And that's okay, too. That's what it is to be retired. So uh, exactly. You know, 
Yeah. You well, I, what I've heard from retired guys is you get to do what you went to seminary for, and that is to preach and teach, and you don't have to do all the things that well come along with the job, like uh, meetings and things like that. Yeah, see, there you you hit it right on the head. That is because that's the thing we love to do, isn't it? We'd love to do what we're right. doing right now to give people the the wonderful uh, good news about God's love and Jesus Christ. And and yes, you know, so when you're retired, that's what you get to do. You're absolutely right, uh, Pastor Brew. That is what makes it neat. Yep. So, brother, uh, before we start into our text today, which um, you know, I gotta say, I know it's Lent, but Hosea's been a downer so far. Oh you know, man, we, we've yeah, we've no been kidding. we've been trudging through judgment after judgment after judgment, and so much of it applies to us today too. So, I think it would be a very good idea for us to start off with prayer. If you could lead us in that, I'd be grateful. So, Lord, as Pastor Bruce says, we actually need uh, an extra gift of your Holy Spirit. Because we can read through this text and we can hear the words of condemnation. And and okay, maybe that's a good thing to do. It is a season of Lent. It is a time of repentance. But within these words of condemnation, you, you have also laid these beautiful nuances of what you really want to do for people, even sinful people, even people like the people of the northern kingdom of, of, of Israel. Uh, so help us, O oh Lord, even in the midst of all these uh, very law judgmental words to still hear that gospel coming through. And we're definitely going to need your Holy Spirit to be able to hear that. And we definitely need your Holy Spirit to see that going on in our life, which also uh, has so many struggles and so many trials. So for that gift of faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, you know, we're going to get into chapter 8. We've been, like I said, trudging through this, but it's it's really important because I believe more and more that I hear and put myself under the authority of these words of Hosea, that these things apply to us as much, if not maybe a little more, than they did to the day of the Israelites when he first spoke them. Uh, perhaps we're not uh, imminently going to be invaded by foreign countries and be whisked off to exile, or maybe we are, but, but still the problems that were going on in Israel still go on today. And, and see, that, that, that is so important because you can read this and you can say, oh man, weren't those people in the northern kingdom, weren't they horrible? Or you can read it and say, oh, I know all kinds of people like that. But of course, the whole point of repentance is that we recognize that these are the things we're wrestling with. These are our sins. So you're absolutely right. We have to hear these words as talking to us in our time and our place. Um, and the other thing I want to say is, is, I think you could summarize chapter 8 by saying, answer, this answers the question, why do bad things happen to people? And we're going to have a list of things that, that the people are doing that will result in the consequences, as you've alluded, to the fact that they're eventually going to be taken off into captivity into Assyria. But but the problem is if we use that approach, then someone's going to say, hey, hey, hand me a pencil, a piece of paper. I'm going to write these things down, and I just won't do those things, and then everything will be okay. Say, I won't have these problems. But what we have listed here, I think, is more of a symptom of the problem. And as you well know, you can treat the symptoms of a disease, and yet the disease will still remain. So what we really have to get at here isn't just what they're doing that's wrong, but how these things are symptoms of what's wrong for the people in the northern kingdom. And then I think we'll be able to get it where it talks about us. And then I think we'll also begin to see the gospel that is in there, because God's got a solution for the disease, okay? Um 
But I think part of the disease is that we think, oh, right, I just got to do something and then everything will be all right. And that actually is the disease itself, that, that, that the way we're going to cure our problems or issues is just finding out what we need to do and we'll do it and everything, everything will be okay. But, but no, I'm sorry. What, what needs to be taken care of is not something we can take care of. It's not something that can be resolved by what we do. But as I said, there's great words in this text that hint at what can actually solve our problem, which I believe is unbelief. I think this is a first commandment chapter. Mm -hmm. That's what the problem is. It all, all these things flow from a lack of faith in God. Well, let's read a few verses. I just want to read the first three verses. Then there's kind of a division there. That's what the editors of the ESV have done, and I think that's a good place to stop. So I'm going to read those first three verses from chapter 8. Here we go. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of Yahweh, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. So just starting off there, you know, I, I see in a very roundabout way a gospel already in the very first verse because he says, set the trumpet to your lips, right? So he's saying, make this announcement. If God was just set on destroying us because of our sins, he wouldn't bother sending prophets and then, of course, later apostles and in this day pastors to proclaim his word, to call people to repentance. He just wouldn't bother. He would just destroy us. So the fact that he's even calling us to repentance as much as it hurts in the moment, well, that's a sign of his love. That, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant insight. Yes, I see, I had not even noticed that, but you're right. From the very get-go, he, he doesn't want them to be destroyed. That's why he sent Hosea. That's why Hosea is warning them. Uh, and I think we could add, see, that's the job of us as Christians. We need to put the trumpet, the shofar uh, to our lips and, and let people know, let people know both uh, the warnings of God, but also the, the, the promises of God. And so you're right. The, the, the call to repentance is never spoken because God just wants to say, oh, what a bunch of dirty rats you guys are. No, as you said, the call to repentance is because God wants to do something for sinners. And we're going to see that as we read further in the text. He actually just tells us what he wants to do. Uh, uh, but we have to know we're sinners first, right? Uh, if you don't know you're blind, what, what did Jesus say to the, 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 the Pharisees? You know, if, if, you, if you knew you were blind, then, then you wouldn't have any sin. But the th problem is you don't think you're blind, and therefore your sin remains. Uh, I, you know, I think the other gospel in here is also in that word about a vulture over the house. Now, that's not a very pretty picture, a vulture no. over the house. But, but you see the word there uh, in the Hebrew, uh, it doesn't just mean vulture. In fact, most of the time it's translated eagle. Uh, it's just right. some kind of carrion, you know, some kind of raptor. Uh, and, and often, though, when it speaks about the eagle, that's a good thing about God wanting to lift you up on eagle wings. And I, I think the Lord is kind of using that word to say, this isn't not what, what I'm about to say isn't what I want to do. Don't you understand that? This is I don't want to be a vulture, too. I want to be the eagle. I want to be the one that comes deliver you. But the problem is, as the next verse says, you say, you know me. And you don't know me from Adam. <laughs> you have not the slightest idea of what I'm like and what I'm about. Uh, but what do you what do you say to the guy who knows it all, right? What can well, you that's it. Him? Speaking of that, you know, eagle vulture sort of distinction there. Yeah, it can be translated 
either way. I mean, we can we look back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49. It says, Yahweh will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the, and there's that word again, eagle, yeah. vulture, a nation whose language you don't understand. And here we have that same thing. One like a vulture is over the house of uh, Israel. Is, uh, is this going to be Assyria? Probably. But I like how you point out that in the Hebrew, it can be translated eagle or vulture. And, and maybe I, I'm taking a step too far, but this sort of dubiousness of, of which way to go, which, which creature, is it the eagle that lifts us up on her wings or is it the vulture that pretty much picks at our bones? It kind of says it's up to you. It gives us the hint that it could go either way. And as you so rightly point out, oh, yeah, we know you, Lord. But as he's already explained, they're just going through the motions. They're not, you know, checking off the list, doing the sacrifices so that you can say, yep, I've sacrificed. And then you get to go about your sinful ways and just sacrifice <laughs> again next time it comes around. That's what they're doing. But, Lord, isn't that what we do so much today? I mean, there's two different things going on here. One, as you said, every Christian is called to set the trumpet to their lips in this world so that we can save some. At the same time, we have to apply this to ourselves so that we aren't just going through the motions. And that's really tough because so many Christians uh, and all of us to some extent every now and then are just going through the motions. The world often rejects our calls to repentance because they look at us and they see us as hypocrites. So it's this, this very careful balance that we have to do. We have to basically walk the walk so that we can so-called talk to talk. And and I, I, I really want to emphasize what you said, too, about the fact that this is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoken already back in the book of Deuteronomy. Because can't you see how God is saying, look, people, my word is true. Right now, what you're experiencing is exactly what I told you was going to happen back in, in, in the, the book of Deuteronomy. And don't you remember what needed to be done at that point? There needed to be repentance. That's all I'm looking for is for you to say, hey, we, we, we're sinners and we can't take care of it. We, we, we're not going to get any better. We, we can actually stop doing the things you're saying, but the problem would still remain. Uh, and, and like I said, as we read on, we're going to see God says, I've got some solutions for this. But so you say, you know, everything. Well, uh, you're not even paying attention to the clear word of prophecy. And as you said, the word of warning that I've given you. Um, I do want to say one more thing before we leave these verses, too. I, I, the English always translates law. You rebel against my law. Um, but, of course, as you know, the word there in the Hebrew is actually Torah, which is not just the laws, not just the commandments, but it's the sum and substance of everything that God taught them in the Old Testament. And, and, and that's what you have to see. It's not just that they're doing bad things, but they have rebelled against the entire revelation that God gave them. And we have some specific illustrations of where they're rebelling against it. But but the number one thing is what you should fear and love God above all, uh, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And that's at the root of everything that's going wrong here. And and honestly, uh, Pastor Boo, that's at the root of everything we do wrong, too. I think you can ultimately trace it back to the fact that we just haven't put our trust in God the way we should. And that's something we all struggle with day in and day out, um, myself included. Yeah. Well, I want to lean in to what you just said. You talked about law and the word there being Torah. And we, we, we have this little disclaimer almost every time we talk about it, whether people yeah. are every, I always say, okay, well, it says law, but understand that it means instruction. 
Um, and so I'm just curious, just off the cuff here, is is the fact that we have to say, well, this means something broader than just law. Is it that we now look at the law as only negative? I mean, is, is that kind of I don't know. Is that sort of our fault a little bit? Because we, we when we think of law, we think of something bad. But the law of God is good. It encompasses his instructions. So while we want to and not really soften it, but expand it by saying instruction, I think the word law, I guess we've just it's taken on this negative connotation. You know, the law is good. It, it, it teaches us how to live. It keeps society in its bounds. It even shows us our sins, which isn't pleasant, but it certainly prepares us for salvation. So I just think that's always kind of interesting because you're right. We always do. We say, listen, this is Torah. It's broader than just law. But is that because we've narrowed what law means to being just only negative? Maybe we shouldn't do that. Well, and, and see, Pastor Boot, again, now you're getting back to what the real problem is. <laughs> right. Because we hear law as if God's bossing us around. That God, he always, do this, do that, just give me a break, okay? And, and as you've said, no, that's not why God gives it. Here's the thing you got to understand about God. He does not have a God complex, okay? He doesn't have to order people around to make him feel like he's God because he is God. People will do what he wants to do regardless because he is the one who is ultimately in control. The only reason God gives a law is because he doesn't want you or the people around you to be hurt. And I mean, if you look at the commandments, that's what they're all about, right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, uh, don't murder, don't bear false witness, don't covet. All these commandments are saying, you know, when you when you do these things, you're going to hurt the people around you, and ultimately you're going to hurt yourself too. And the first and foremost, that of course, is, is having with the gods before, because when you do that, oh man, you just don't realize the pain you're going to cause yourself just because you've forgotten that I am uh, the only God. So I, I, I think you're right. I, I, but see, that's part of the problem. We, we want to turn the laws into something that, oh, here's a list of things for us to do, as you said before. And once we do them, everything will be all right. No, no. The reason God gave the law, well, first of all, is so you can see that, that you're not capable of doing what God really wants. I'm sorry, the things that need to be done in your heart we will never we'll always fall short of that because out of the heart comes comes evil and all the other things that Jesus lists. And then the other reason, of course, is God gives the law because he loves people and he doesn't want people to hurt. And so he got all this. So, so I think you're right. I think you're right. Although, again, I think the point in, in, in emphasizing the word Torah is, is that it's, it's everything. It's not just what he tells us to do, but it's also all these beautiful promises he makes about what he's going to give us. Uh, and, and that's what they rebelled against. Uh, it was pretty simple what God said he was going to do for them. And they said, no, no, we don't need that, God. We'll, we'll do it ourselves. And that's where the whole problem lies. When I think about them just, you know, going through the motions, trying to do the bare minimum, it, it brings up in my mind when I teach the youth, the uh, catechumens, that sort of thing, about the, say, Ten Commandments and the law and what God wants from us, even if it's for our good, they'll often take Let's say a, a very good example is the sixth commandment, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And they'll take that and suddenly all of their questions will turn into not how do I live a chaste life, but all their questions turn into where is the line, right? <laughs> does, does this count? Does this yeah, count? Yeah. What if this? And, and so the reason why they do that, the reason why they want to know where the line is, is not so they can stay far away from it 
but so they could scooch up as close to it as they can without, you know, angering God or crossing the line or trespassing. And, and I, I feel like that's kind of what's going on here. They're saying, okay, well, the Lord says, don't lie. And then they go into, well, if I don't bear false testimony against my neighbor, then they're thinking like the lawyer in with Jesus's day. Well, yeah. then who is my neighbor? Surely this person doesn't count. And so they, they draw all these lines in there and the most faithful of them are just trying their best to scooch up as close to the line as they can without crossing. And God says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. And see, it reflects again, a misunderstanding of what the law is all about. Uh, the law is God telling us how we need to love our neighbor. And therefore, the question always is, what more can I do? Not what's yeah. the limit to what I'll do, right? Because now right. you're going back to that lawyer. That's what he wanted to know. What, what are the limits to what I have to do for someone? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you. How about this? That, that you, you, you go to the guy, you heal his wounds, you put him up in a hotel, you pay for his expenses, and you do it for a guy that you hate. <laughs> See, there's right. no limits there. No, no, you, like you said, you're absolutely right. It's a wrong question uh, for, for the believer. What we want to know is how much can we do? Not, not what are the exactly. limits to what we can do. But again, see, that comes out of faith. Uh, uh, until you understand that that's what God does for you, there's no limits to what God does for you. You know what? You could be a stinking, horrible criminal your whole life, and in your dying breath, ask God to, to remember you. And he'd do that. Because there's no limits to what God does, see? God doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, you've gone to the limit. You should have repented a few years ago. No, 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 no. Well, let's add some verses now. We're going to go through verse 6, so 4, 5, and 6. And here Hosea is bringing up, well, some specifics about what they've been doing. Or I should say God through Hosea. Here we go. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Wow. So just starting with the kings, uh, what's that talking about, Pastor? I mean, they're... they're they're obviously not through me means they're doing something not the way God wants them to do it with these kings. Well, well, of course, the, the whole thing is, is, is God had appointed a king. That was God's decision. That was God's choice. And he did that uh, in Jerusalem, in, in the southern kingdom. Uh, but, of course, when there was a civil war, when they broke off, well, you, you got to have your own king. You, you can't have the king down in Jerusalem. And you got the same problem here. You got to have your own, uh, your own idol. You can't go down to the temple anymore in Jerusalem. Uh, so you've got both things. We're, we're trying to fill in uh, what God had already given us, but we refuse to do what God said. And so we'll, we'll appoint our own people to be leaders and we'll make our own place to worship. And, and isn't it ironic? What do they build to worship is a, a calf, a golden calf, two golden calves, by the way, because, you know, if one golden calf is good, Two golden calves have to be better, doesn't it? <laughs> if you really want to show how religious you are, two idols, but surely just one idol. It's uh, so it's literally I, them doubling down on the same sin that they committed in the wilderness. Oh, but we're being holy. No, 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 Pastor Boo. We're not <laughs> sinning. We're being holy. See, we're twice as holy as the people in Israel do because they only have one idol. We have two. Well, of course, they don't have any idols, do they? But we we have two. We have two, and they don't have any. <laughs> right. We're, well, we're, we think. I, 
Yeah, go ahead. I'll just say we think of Jeroboam the first who yeah. sets up set up these idols. We're we're now in First Kings twelve twenty eight and following, and it says so. The king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, "You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt." And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin for the people who went as far as Dan to be before one. So instead of accessing the true God where he wants to be found, these people, as you said, are extra religious. I like that because they have two places you can go, whichever is more convenient. And, and then people said, well, I'm going to go as far as Dan to be faithful. But they're, they're, they're putting a lot of effort into being faithful to false idols. And I definitely see that today. And, and see, there you go back to that whole limit thing. See, that's what results when you're looking for limits. And then you think, oh, oh okay, so, so well, here's what I'm going to do uh, since I can't do what actually I've been told to do. But, but it'll be better. It'll be better than what I was told to do because I, I'm, I'm going to be, like you said, I'll have two rather than one. And, and the language here, by the way, the language is just, it, it, uh, the, the English has, I have spurned your calf of Samaria. Uh, uh, the, the word spurn there actually means to be rancid, to smell badly. Uh, I, I don't know. Have you ever opened your refrigerator? Well, we just, this is on my mind because this happened last week. Lynn said, there's something in the refrigerator. And, oh, man, it just stunk. And, oh, that's the worst thing in the world, you know. And, and then we find out it was broccoli. Do not store broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> Eat it and throw it. Don't, well, maybe don't even eat it. I don't know. But it because you let it sit there, it really, really stinks. And see, that's the thing. They thought what they had was the most wondrous thing in the world, this golden calf that they had made. And God said, you know what? That just stinks to high heaven. That's what that does. You think that's impressing me that you're worshiping? Uh, and then, of course, you got the other things here, too. Uh, what a ridiculous thing to worship a golden calf. First of all, uh, you made it. Some man, craftsman there is the word, you know, might have been a carpenter, a, a stonemason. I don't know what it was. The guy that works in gold. By the way, isn't it an interesting contrast when we get to the end of the text? God says, I'm your maker. <laughs> See, yeah. you want to worship somebody. Don't worship something you made. Worship me because I'm the one that made you. Uh, and then, of well, that's course, the, the that's the Old yeah. Testament litmus test for how yeah, do you know yeah. you're worshiping the true God? Well, it's pretty simple. Did he make everything that exists? And if he did, then that's the true God. And if he didn't, he's not. And and the final thing is, if you take it and you throw it on the ground, it's going to break into pieces. This right. is the thing you're putting your faith in, the thing that shall be broken to pieces. Oh, yeah. God's just got to be rolling his eyes and shaking his head, don't you think? Um, but that's what they're doing. That's what they're well, doing. I did not know um, until you brought it up. That an alternate reading for that word is to um, is to stink. Uh, I'm looking at it now in uh, my BDB, uh, and it, it you know obviously we have this idea of rejection, but then this sort of rancid like oil going bad. And it's funny you talk about the broccoli. This morning after a long weekend, I wasn't here yesterday. I worked from home. I come into my office and there was something that I needed to spurn in my office. Something oh, that oh. smelled bad, and I had left a half a glass of chai tea with lots of milk in it in oh, my office. Oh. And so the, what is, what's the first thing you do? You seek that out and you destroy it. You get rid of it. Yep. I cleaned it out. I, I wanted to be as far away from it as possible. And that's what God's doing. What I think is fascinating about that double entendre there, this sort of stench at the same time being rejected, 
is that they literally think that their um, uh, smelly worship uh. is going to please God. So they are are clinging to that which is offensive. And it seems today that so many people, it's it's like the more offensive they can be, the more holy they think they are or the more righteous they think they are because they're pushing the boundaries or some other uh, characterization. You know, you were talking earlier about the, about the limits and wanting to push to the limits. Are there any boundaries anymore? I, I don't know, Pastor Boo. My wife and I were talking about that this morning over breakfast, that all the kind of things that we would never say uh, and never, you know, bring out in the book or everything that we would have hidden over. And it seems like, oh, no, that's just all pretty normal now. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't watch a TV show without saying, "Did they just? Did they just do that on TV? Did I see that? <laughs> right. Did they say that?" Uh, uh, you know, the will. thing is, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm just gonna say, you know, I why why don't we put a pause on this because we are up against a All break. Right. But I'm gonna take a break, and and folks, yeah, think about that. Think about how things that used to be just completely unheard of in our world today are just normal. It's crazy. Anyway, we'll be back after this break. Don't go anywhere. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lakomsky. He's co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO. But before we get back into the conversation and dive back into the Word of God, I just want to say, friends, I hope that you're finding our program enriching and enlightening. Remember, if you have feedback, questions, or thoughts, you can reach out to me via PastorBoo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, too. As always, uh, you can also, and I encourage you to, share Thy Strong Word with your friends and family. They can tune into the radio if they're in the St. Louis area, or they can visit KFUO.org to listen live on or on demand. Um, if you're always on the move, you can download the KFUO app or subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Well, anyway, folks, I'm just happy to have you with us for our study this morning. Uh, now, uh, Pastor Lakomsky, before the break, we were talking about how just nothing's sacred anymore. The things that uh, we see are just, it seems like uh, what is abnormal has become completely normalized. Some things that are really detrimental to our faith and even our society. Uh, not a whole lot different, though, than thousands of years ago and what's going on here in Israel. I don't know if that's a comforting thing or not. 
Well, and, and, you know, that's funny because Lynn and I were talking about that too. In fact, we were talking about what's happened in terms of politics where it seems like that you can say any mean, nasty thing you want to uh, and, and people, oh, they'll praise you for saying those mean, nasty things. Uh, but I remember years ago, we were up in the uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln Museum there in Springfield, Illinois. If you ever get to Springfield, by the way, Pastor Boo, that's a great, it's a super, super museum, uh, uh, very interactive and lots of multimedia stuff. But they had a collection of the campaign posters during the time of Abraham Lincoln, where Lincoln was portrayed as a donkey or as an ape. And I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe things haven't got any worse. Right. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> like you say, it, it, it's always this, this way. But what's neat about these verses where God literally says, you know, what you're doing stinks. Uh, by the way, it doesn't say that they stink, but what you're doing is is, is loath to me. It, it just is a stench in my nostrils. It makes me so angry. But he also says this phrase, how long will they be incapable of innocence? And I think that's maybe the second hint of gospel in here, that this is what God wants to do. He wants to make us innocent. And, and that word can have several nuances. It can be mean to be not guilty. It can mean to be clean. But but I think God says, see, don't you see, this is what I want to do for you. But you still think it's all about what you do. You think you 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 worship a calf and all of a sudden that's going to press me. And now I'll have it in the next verses too. You think if you multiply your altars and your sacrifices, somehow now God, God will be on, on, on. No, no, I'm on your side because you're my people. I love you. That's the only reason I ever do anything for you is because I have compassion for you. You do not need to do anything to get me to, to love and care for you. You do need to believe that though. You need to believe that. And and see, that's the thing. The people down in Jerusalem, they weren't worshiping a calf, okay? But they still had the same problem that the people in the northern kingdom did. Maybe it wasn't, the symptoms weren't showing itself so, so predominantly. It's kind of like COVID. You know, sometimes the symptoms are really obvious. Sometimes you don't have any symptoms at all, but it's still the same problem. The people in Jerusalem also thought it was something they had to do in order to get God's faithfulness and love and mercy. And really all God wanted to do for them and wants to do for us, he just wants to make us clean. He wants to give us this innocence. Uh, um, and we'll see more of that as we proceed in the text. Well, you have you know one group worshiping the one true God in long ways, and then you have another group who are worshiping false gods in what they think are all the right ways. And what we have to realize is not only is there only one true God, but that he is a jealous God. He, he wants his people to be there with him. I was going to say for him, but that's not true either. With him, because he wants to be there for them. We have a God who loves us so much that he doesn't want us to go astray. It's not just that he is somehow offended if we go astray. He, he wants us for our own benefit. Um, so I want to read verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 now. Here we go. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. So, 
a whirlwind, a tornado's coming, but they're just getting what they've sown, sort of poetic judgment here. And, and, and again, now we're getting to the, the consequences of the fact that they're not putting their trust in God. And the and and like you said, yeah, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So you so win, what do you get? You get a whirlwind. What do you what do you expect? Uh, and, and the thing is, is is you're going to plant your grain, and your grain won't produce anything, and whatever it does produce, someone else is going to come devour it, and you're going to be swallowed up. Uh, um, Luther's translation of the useless vessel, and, and honestly, I think he's probably stretching the Hebrew, but but it's typical Luther is that it's a chamber pot. You've become like a chamber pot. <laughs> and, and and do you think anyone knows what a chamber pot is anymore, Pastor Boo? Uh, I, you know what? You know, I know when our first episode, we argued over typewriter. Here, I'm going to give it to you. I, I think that <laughs> a lot of people don't know what a chamber pot is anymore. Right. I do, though. Well, Not that I've well, ever because... used one. Look, look it up in a look it up on Google because no, we're not going to do like the rest of the world. There are limits to what we'll talk about on this radio show. But that typical Luther, that yeah, yeah, that's what you become. You become a chamber pot to the nations, uh, uh, and of course, literally they have because in the end, these people that they're looking to be their allies, they're the ones that are going to come and destroy them. The very people that you've turned to for help are the ones that will come and take you away in slavery. Um, I well, would I, like to throw one, up. one thing though, if, yeah. just to defend Luther too. He yeah. quotes, and I'm sure you noticed, he cites uh, Saint Paul talking to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty, which we've already gone through recently. It says, "Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay." Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the verse he's quoting. Uh, but I, I looked up the Hebrew, and and uh, it does more have the sense of useless. And frankly, if you know what a chamber pot is, it, it, it's not the nicest thing in the world, but you're always glad to have it. It's useful. It's useful. <laughs> it's useful. It is useful. So that's the only question I would have. But again, it, it, the image is perfect. There's no purpose. They have no purpose, no vocation. They're not doing anything good for anybody, not for themselves, nor for anybody else. Um, there was a really strange interpretation of this wild donkey thing in Kyle Dalish that I just thought I'd throw out because their thought is, is that what God is saying is, you know, even a wild donkey knows that, that he just needs to be by himself. The only way he can maintain his independence is if he just goes off alone, okay? You're so stupid to think that you can make your independence by associating with these other countries, which you know I hate. I hate mm -hmm. the Assyrians. I've told you that. I hate them because they do mean things to my people. And yet these are the ones you're looking to to ally with. Oh, and don't you see how what a what a slap in the face of God that is. So we don't trust you, God. We're not gonna ally with you, and we'll ally with the very people you've warned us against. And now we go back to your kids. I'm thinking in confirmation, right? That they want to do the very things that God said, no, this is what's going to harm you. This is what's going to cause you problems. Just stick with me and everything will be all right. Well, it won't be all right because you're sinners in a simple <laughs> world. But, well, anyway. Well, I'm just thinking about the wild donkey, too. You know, donkeys are, um, again, just like the—and I'm not trying to uh, harp on it, but just like the useless yeah. vessel. You know, we think of—Luther says the chamber pot, but that's actually a very useful vessel. Same thing with the wild donkey. Uh, wandering alone. I don't know. Maybe Kyle Dalish has, they've, they've got something here because 
we think of a donkey as a pack animal, but we yeah. also think of a donkey as used by kings. It has a symbol of kingship. And so a wild donkey alone is kind of like a, a useless donkey. It's not being used for its purposes. And so instead of being associated with usefulness and being associated with kingship, they've gone up to Assyria. They're basically uh, bending over backwards for their enemies in hopes that Assyria will save them, which we've already discovered through this prophecy that Assyria is uh, going to rebel against them and then, of course, conquer them. So uh, and then Ephraim has hired lovers. We also see this idea that they're, as you said, they're they're going out to the people who God has already told them not to associate with for help when all they need to do, all they need to do is return to the Lord. And it, it's, it's, it sounds simple because it is simple, you know, quit sinning, <laughs> you know, it, yes, our, our sinful natures um, and our concupiscence make that extremely difficult, but we have a God of mercy. And so just cling to him. Um, of course, here we are during our own Lenten tide reflecting on our own sin, realizing that, yeah, it can be difficult in a world that's always encouraging us to, uh, instead of being useful, <laughs> you know, being useless, and instead of uh, being useful like a donkey, just becoming wild and wandering on our own, go off on your way, you know, associate with those whom God hates because, you know what, either God won't mind or there is no God, whatever your motivation is, it's not going to be good for you in the end. You know, I, I uh, uh, Pastor Boo, I, I really do like the thoughts there about the uh, useless vessel and the uh, useless donkey. What good is a wild donkey? You can't even catch it. It just runs away from you, serves no purpose. Um, and, and see, that's that's another thing we need to realize. When, when we go off on our own, when we try to do things by ourselves rather than, than turning to God and, and putting faith in God, we actually become worthless to everybody else, don't we? Um we're here for a purpose. God didn't just create us because he wanted a bunch of people. He, he created every one of us because we have something we need to do. Uh, there are people we need to love and care for. Uh, there's there's a reason why we're, why we're here. But you're right. When we lose faith, when we go off on our own, doing our own thing, doing the things the way we think we want to do them, then 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 we, we no longer focus you know, fulfill that vocation, that purpose either. We, we lose that, uh, which is really doubly sad. I mean, it'd be bad enough for us uh, that we've we've lost ourselves, our relationship with God, but then we've also lost the things we need to be doing for the people around us. Um, yeah, that's a good thought. Well, let's move on. Now, we only have four more verses left in the chapter, and I'm going to read those four verses now. Because Ephraim has multiplied offers pardon me, altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but Yahweh does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces and Judah has multiplied fortified cities, so I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. Take us through that, brother. Well, so here's the thing. So, so from a technical standpoint, uh, the people in the northern kingdom are, are they're doing all kinds of religious stuff, aren't they? In fact, they have multiplied their altars, kind of what we said earlier, you know, Israel 
uh, Judah rather only has one altar. We've we've got hundreds, thousands of altars. So certainly we must be much. And you know, if you have one altar, how many sacrifices can you make? Well, we can make thousands of sacrifices because we have all of these things. And and so it's that idea that the more religious we are, that then the better we are in God's eyes. More likely God will defend and protect us and care for us. Uh, so wow, I, I'm super holy right now. Did you know that? Because I've been going to church twice a week. That makes me so much holier and better than the, uh, there are people that don't even go once a week, Mr. <laughs> Boo. But see, then, then no, now, now you, you're, you're sinning again because you're making it about you, making it about what you do. And in fact, you actually make your worship a stench, don't you? Because there's only one reason to go to worship, because I need faith. I need God loves. I need God's forgiveness. I need his Holy Spirit so I can start doing the good things that I need to do that I find so hard to do sometimes. For me, it's all about God taking care of me, giving me his gifts. It's all about the fact that I love God and I'd like to go with to people that I love. I like to be with them. But you see, if I'm doing it because I think that somehow is going to manipulate God, make God owe me one. Well, that's a that, no, that's there's no value in that at all. Uh, even if I was doing it in the right place. See, and isn't it interesting in the end of this chapter, uh, Judah comes back in. See, because I think Hosea started to say, look, look, you guys are doing things that are just absolutely horrible. That there's no, they're, they're a stench. <laughs> in no way are they pleasing to God. The, the worship of golden calf, I think we established that all the way back in the book of Exodus. But the thing is, Judah, Judah's doing all the right things but, but Judah is still so far from God, too. Uh, and in the case of Judah, uh, that's because they think they'll build fortified cities. See, that's how we'll protect ourselves from the Assyrians. And, and, and again, God says, no, no, Judah, your fortified cities, they're just burn up. You need me. Don't you understand? That's what you need. You need me. And, and there's a really, really great gospel here. But I want to save that for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Boo, what, what do you think? Well, I'm looking at this where they say in verse 13, or he says in verse 13, uh, he will remember. Well, actually, first of all, 13, we have a switch in the language. It, it's no longer him speaking on behalf of God, but now um, it's sort of he's talking God's now in the third person because um, yeah. it, it says, as for my sacrificial altars, they sacrifice meat and eat it. And then it changes to, but Yahweh does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins, and they shall return to Egypt. So the first thing I see is sort of this shift. It's like mid-sentence, he goes from speaking, God speaking through him to speaking about God. But then he says, and I think this is the first time in Hosea that he says, they shall return to Egypt. Um, we don't know this yet because we haven't gotten there, but in chapter 9, verse 3, it says, they shall not remain in, the, remain in the land of Yahweh, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. And then in chapter 11, it says they shall not return to Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. So with Hosea saying twice that they'll return to Egypt and then once that they won't, um, how do you take this returning to Egypt? Is it just figurative for their returning to slavery, or do you have a different perspective? 
No, I that's how, that's how I take it, and 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 most of the comment. Well, in fact, all the commentators I've read, that was the uh, uh, because obviously they are not literally going to go. Well, now I'll take that back. There was commentator, one commentator that said maybe during the uh, Syrian invasion, maybe some of the people fled, and of course you can't fly uh, to Judah because Judah doesn't have anything to do with you, and so maybe they fled all the way down to Egypt. So I guess there is a possibility, but you know. Most of the ones I read suggest that it is just Egypt here is just a a, a, a metaphor for the land of slavery. Um, and of course, you can see why he would say both you are and you're not <laughs> for the guy who said, oh, no, no, I'm not talking literal here. They're not literally going to go back to Egypt. But That's yes, right. they are going to go back to the same slavery only by different slave owners now, uh, but the same kind of slavery that God delivered them from once before. Um but it also shows, though, that you know this slavery that they're going to return to is a, a willing thing, right? They they don't have to do this. They're willingly returning to sin, so they're willingly making themselves vulnerable to being conquered. And God is going to allow this to happen, not because he is um, his anger is certainly burning, but not because he hates them, but rather because. Sometimes it takes giving people what the desires of their heart are so that they recognize how unhealthy it is for them. Well, now, now it's interesting uh, because you bring up a, what, a seeming contradiction in the Gospel of John, uh, because in John chapter 3, uh, and this is on my mind because this is the kind of stuff you and I have been— pre Are you on the three-year or the one-year lectionary? I'm on the three-year. All right, so, so you've been talking about this stuff too. So we just had— God saying, no, no, Jesus didn't come into the world to, to condemn the world, he came, or to judge the world is the word there, uh, but to, to save the world. And, and now the text we got Sunday, Jesus says, I came into the world to bring judgment. Well, wait a second. <laughs> I thought it just said that you didn't come to judge the world. Now you say you come into the world with, with judgment. But, but the point is, is, no, Jesus doesn't come to judge anybody. Jesus comes to save people. But by the very token that he comes to save people, he does bring with him a judgment, doesn't he? Because if, and in fact, he said that in John 3, 2, if you don't believe in him, you're already judged. See, right. if you reject God's salvation, then what else is there? See? Uh, and again, it's not that God doesn't love the people. Like you said, he loves the people. He wouldn't have bothered to send Jose if he didn't love them. Uh, but if you reject that love and that forgiveness... Well, then, then what can God do except say, well, depart from me. Uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her sheep, but but you would not. So I, I think you've got a really good point there. Jesus always wants to save. God always wants to bring forgiveness. But if you refuse that, well, what other options does he have? You know, what other options does he have? And then we have this, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. It really gets to the heart of it, which is whenever you put your faith, hope, and trust in things other than the one true God, then you are dismissing the one, who, the very one who created you, to whom you owe your life and, of course, your salvation. But here they are, forgetting their own makers and trying to rely on themselves. And so we have people building palaces. 
our world is filled with palaces, isn't it? It's just amazing, the palaces that are being built. It uh, It's overwhelming the fortified cities that we're constructing. And of course, in the end, that won't do you anything good. Uh, you take Bill Gates, my goodness, that man had more palaces than anybody would want. And he had more money than anybody could ever spend. And in the end, he died from cancer. You know, you'd think that he could have done something about it, don't you? But But that's the point. Yeah, you're right. There's no answers to the things we have in this world, but there is an answer in the guy who made us and our maker. Yeah, he might be able to change things for us. Uh, and in fact, he does, doesn't he? Because he actually takes care of death, which I haven't seen anybody else take care of that yet. But but he's going to replace death with everlasting life and the resurrection for the dead. But But before we're done, here's the gospel in that verse. He says, now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. But see, when you hear those words right away, you would remember all the times God said, that's exactly what I don't want to do. What I want to do is forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That's what he said to the prophet Jeremiah, isn't it? And that's what he said all along. I'm a God of steadfast love. That's what I want to do. I want to forgive. Uh, but as you pointed out earlier, if you reject that, well... But but the thing to, to understand, Pastor Boo, is we all kind of, I don't know if we reject it, but we maybe have doubts and questions about it when we're having our trials and our troubles. And, and, and the only answer to that is to go back to the Word of God and remember, oh, no, he still loves, he still cares for me. That's the one thing I can be sure of. That has not changed because God never changes uh, he might allow me to suffer some consequences because of my foolishness. But again, as you pointed out at the very beginning of this Bible study, if he does that, it's only because he loves you, right? Like a father disciplines his son. He always disciplines out of love, just so you won't be lost forever and eternally. Um, so I just think it's interesting. Mm -hmm. He uses those words about remembrance and about uh, sins. And that's because he's saying, can't you remember what I told you I really want to do? I don't want to do this to you. I want to forgive your iniquity. I don't want to remember your sins. It sounds to me like you're saying when the prophet says, now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins and they shall return to Egypt, it should spark something in the hearts of these people to say, wait a minute, I thought our God, like you said, doesn't remember our iniquities, uh, forgives our sins and has rescued us from Egypt. And it's sort of like, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. It's interesting when Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. That's what pricked the heart of the thief, wasn't it? Because the thief began to think, you know what? I do have things that need to be forgiven. Oh, my goodness, this guy is actually praying that I would be forgiven. And then we have the faith, of course, which is what God just wants from these people. He just wants them to believe he is a God of love and compassion. And we sacrifice and we worship because he's a God of love and compassion. We don't sacrifice and worship because we think that will make him into a God of love and compassion. Well, that's a good place to end on God's love and compassion. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Lukomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And you can uh, hear Wrestling with the Basics on Saturdays at 9 a.m. over the air, online, or through the KFUO app. Well, we're preempted tomorrow, so come back and join us on Thursday so that uh, we'll continue in Hosea, then Chapter 9. Uh, Hosea will be prophesying yet another vivid picture of Israel's impending punishment for their unfaithfulness and idolatry. He likens them to bad grapes unfit for consumption. 
he warns them of the approaching judgment and their imminent fall, and he highlights their religious infidelity and moral wrongdoing, all because of the prosperousness of their society. Wow, another connection to us today, I believe. So be sure to check in with us and see how that goes. So until then, though, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.